Tonight I'd like to have you open your Bible to the book of Hosea, and we're going to be in about chapter 13, taking some things from Hosea 13. In the book of Hosea, we've seen God's grief over His people who've turned against Him. They've left Him behind for idols and kings, both from their own country and others. And in Hosea 13, the first two verses, he offers a reminder of their sins. He says, When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He exalted himself in Israel, but through Baal he did wrong and died. And now they sin more and more, and make for themselves molten images, idols skillfully made from their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. They say of them, Those who make human sacrifice kiss the calves. If you're reading in the New American Standard Bible, you'll notice that the human sacrifice portion of that is left out. That's a note I'd make in your Bible. Uh, I would correct that because that's pretty, pretty plain uh, when you look back at the text. And most other translations catch that. But that's one that I would note. They were making human sacrifice and kissing the calves. It was an idolatrous practice, a, a horrible thing they were doing. Idol worship went so far that they're offering human sacrifice. If you recall back a little while ago, we covered Hosea chapter 6. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 4 especially, if you look back there, the people had taken God's mercy and His, uh, His lenience for granted. And in verse 4, God responds to them, What shall I do with you for your loyalty or your love is like a morning cloud and like the dew which goes away early? You might remember that illustration that God gave that kind of turned their own thoughts against them, that He was so constant as the rains. And He says, well, if I'm constant as the rain, you are as disloyal as dew that just kind of disappears. That's the way our relationship's been. And now you come back to chapter 13 and verse 3. And God turns that illustration to them once again. He spoke of their idol worship and then he says, Therefore they will be like the morning cloud and like the dew which soon disappears, like chaff which is blown away from the threshing floor and like smoke from a chimney. This is another place that God very directly lets them reap what they've sown. Their loyalty would imitate their outcome or their outcome would imitate their loyalty I should say. They sowed the loyalty that was not so loyal. They were gone like the dew in the morning. And so God says that's the way you actually will be. They would find no stability. And where their loyalty quickly faded, their existence and their kingdom would also quickly fade. They would find no rest. Smoke from a chimney doesn't last very long. You can see it sort of going out of the top of the house, can't you? And then a short while after it reaches out of there, it's just gone. No more. Never to return. In Hosea 13, God reminds the people of their history. And there's something cool that I want to show you. Uh, you may have seen it before. I don't know. But it's something we're going to go over tonight. And I found it simply fascinating. God describes Himself in Hosea 13. And He describes Himself with three different descriptions Three roles that he plays. Three roles he wants to play for Israel, 
and for us today. Same God. It's a passage that might help if someone's saying, well, the God of the Old Testament is very different from the God of the New Testament. Not so. We've been over that. But this is a passage that might help you with that. Help you see the sameness of our God. He explains in the clearest of words the role He desires to play for them. And He begins in verse 4. Hebrews chapter, sorry, Hosea chapter 13, verse 4, He says, Yet I have been the Lord your God since the land of Egypt, and you were not to know any God except me, for there is no Savior besides me. Savior is the first way that God describes Himself, and it also helps to explain why that commandment is there, doesn't it? Back in Exodus, when He gave the command to them in the wilderness, no other gods before me. Why? If someone was inclined to ask, well, why not? Well, because there's only one who can save like I can. When a piece of wood can save you, then you can worship it, I suppose. But there's no Savior besides Him. So God describes Himself as a Savior, as the only Savior that has ever or will ever exist. Look back at Exodus chapter 14, and I want you to see something, a connection there that God makes for us. Exodus chapter 14. This is back just after the plagues. You remember the ten plagues and all the power of God that was displayed in Egypt so so that He would be honored, so that He would be known. And He begins to bring the people out of Egypt and they camp beside the Red Sea. And who should arise in verse 9 of Exodus 14 but the Egyptians says, then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them camping by the sea. Verse 10, as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, and then they said to Moses, Moses, is it because there was no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you've seen today, you will never see them again forever. And you remember the story that ensues. God commands Moses, stretch out your hand over the Red Sea, and it parts like a wall on either side. And the Israelites walked through on dry ground all the way across. And who should come after them but those Egyptians once again? Marching after them straight through, riding in their chariots straight through until God began to fight. God, it says, fought for them. He caused their chariot wheels in verse 25 to swerve and He made them drive with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from Israel for the Lord is fighting against or fighting for them against the Egyptians. And then the Lord said to Moses, verse 26, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots and their horsemen. And so He did so. Verse 28, The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them. Not even one of them remained. 
But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel on that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Twice. Twice it speaks of the salvation of God. Once, back in verse 13, you would see the salvation of the Lord. And again in verse 30, thus the Lord saved Israel. He was their Savior. There was none beside Him. And so they were to have no gods other than Him. Now today in Acts chapter 13, verse 23, we find a Savior. Acts chapter 13, verse 23 says, From the descendants of this man, that is, from the descendants of David, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. Today, Jesus is seen as the Savior, the only Savior. In 1 John chapter 2, in verse 2, we read that He Himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. That means that there is not a single sin that cannot be forgiven by the blood of Christ. Jesus has the power to wash every single one away. He is the Savior. And in John chapter 3, verse 16, we read that familiar passage, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Savior. We see in that passage, and in so many more, the Savior quality of the work of Christ. That part of God. Our Savior. His sacrifice on the cross saves us from our sins. But John 3.16 acts as a sort of transition for the next way that God describes Himself. In Hosea chapter 13, verse 5, God says, I cared for you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. As they had their pasture, they became satisfied, and being satisfied, their heart became proud. And therefore, they forgot me. God is, again, walking them through their history. He brought them out of Egypt in a way that none else could. No Savior like Him, none beside Him. And He sustained them in the wilderness. He says He cared for them. He is a caregiver. That's the second way that He describes Himself. As one who cares, one who provides. God was their caregiver in the wilderness. In Exodus 16, verse about 12, the people have been grumbling against God because they didn't have any food. They're wandering around and they're hungry. And, and they're, again, they, they talk about how they're going to die and all these sorts of things. In Exodus 16, verse 12, God says, I've heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it came about at evening that the quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp, and when the layer of dew evaporated, behold, on the surface of the wilderness there was a fine flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. That was their manna. 
Food that God provided that none else could in a way that none else could. They didn't have to go out and scavenge the wasteland to find bits and pieces of things that they might survive on. It came right into the camp for them. All around the camp provided food wherever they were in that wilderness place. He took care of them. And you can probably think of plenty of other occasions in the wilderness where God cared for His people and provided for their needs, whether it was water or food. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. That description of a caregiver is the role that the Father plays in the New Testament and the Old Testament alike. He plays the role of a caregiver. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, Jesus teaches His disciples about prayer. And there He he prays and He says, Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. He's praying to the caregiver. To the one who would provide for them. Praying for the daily bread, what they need for that day. In Matthew 7, the same set of teaching. Matthew 7 verse 7. Jesus says simply, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man among you is there who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will... Your Father who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask Him. Time and time again, the Father is noted as the caregiver. The one who delivers all good things to us for our good. Both those things that we would normally call blessings and those which we would call discipline. Always for our good. Always from that Father. But there's a third way that he describes himself in Hosea 13, and it comes in verse 9. If you turn back to Hosea chapter 13, and you look down to verse 9, he says, It is your destruction, O Israel, that you are against me, against your help. God describes himself as wanting to help them. But because they were defying Him, He became their enemy. In the Old Testament, we read about some of the help that God gave to His people. When the tabernacle needed to be built, and all sorts of different things needed to be crafted and built from different materials, whether it be wood or fine metals or fabrics, do you know who it was who empowered the people. You could say God and you'd be right, but it was the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, who helped the people in that way. 
In the New Testament, in John chapter 14, starting in verse 16, Jesus says to His disciples, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, that He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see Him or know Him. But you know Him, because He abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Same chapter, verse 25. These things I've spoken to you while abiding with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Are you catching the different roles that are being played? Jesus is going to the cross. Why? To save. Who's going to send the Holy Spirit? The Father, the Provider, the Caregiver. And why would the Holy Spirit be sent? Because we need some help. We need some help. And so the Father would send the Holy Spirit to help. After our Savior ascended, the Father gave a helper, the Holy Spirit, who would reveal all the truth. That was one of the, one of the if not the primary work that He was there to do. To reveal and confirm the message that God was giving. He would reveal all the truth. He would teach all things. Both those things which Jesus had already said and those which they couldn't bear at that time. All the truth was going to be given. And today He helps us. He continues to help us in the preservation of that truth which He provided to them. You think... That book that you hold in your hands got there without God willing it to be so? You think that a a text could be preserved for so many thousands of years and not just one text, but 66 books of the Bible? Mind you, you have them in one book in your hand, but that's not the way they were originally written. They were separate books. Separate records. And all of them maintained through the thousands of years. That doesn't happen on its own. The Holy Spirit is helping in that. He continues to help today as He preserves that truth that He provided. And Romans 8, 26 and 27 talks about something else that He does. That when we pray and in those moments when you don't know quite how to say what you ought to say. He hears that. And He hears what you can't put into words. He hears the inner thoughts, the difficulties, the hardships that we don't have the vocabulary to do justice to. And He helps us there. He's a helper. Not just then, but also now. He is our helper. These three descriptions God gives Himself coincide with the work He did back then and the work He does in the New Testament times, even to today. He called Himself the only Savior and Jesus has saved us and is the only sacrifice that can take away our sins. He called Himself the caregiver, and all around us we see the blessings of our Father that He continues to give. 
And he called himself the help. And even today, the work of the Holy Spirit in preserving the word and helping our prayers is helping us. He continues to be the helper. These three descriptions are the way God wants to interact with you in your life. He wants to save you through the blood of His Son. He wants to bless you with every good thing. And He wants to help you to share in His holiness. But if you recall, in Hosea 13, verse 9, there was something that stopped that. There was something that stood in the way from Him being able to save, to bless, and to help. And He says again in verse 9 of Hosea 13, It is your destruction, O Israel, that you are against me, against your help. Standing against God takes many different forms, doesn't it? It has to do with hobbies that take over our life. It has to do with family struggles that cause us to behave in ways that are ungodly. It has to do with a a job that takes us from the meetings of the Lord's people. It has to do with dishonest business. It has to do with cheating on taxes. It has to do with all sorts of things that God says aren't good. And if we persist in those things, if we make those part of our life, just as the Israelites had made their sins their life, we begin to stand against Him. And all those good things that He wishes to do for you, you stop Him from doing. Don't stand against God. Stand with Him. Stand with Him. Because I don't care how nice you think life would be if you could do some of those things that, that you would like to do that are against God. It doesn't matter how nice you think it would be. It's not as nice as having God's salvation, as having God's care, as having God's help. It'll be far better going that way than any way we might choose for ourselves. God wants to save, to bless, and to help us. But He can only do that if we will stand with Him. And so tonight, as we offer the invitation, the invitation is that if you've not contacted the saving blood of Christ through baptism for the forgiveness of your sins, God is calling you to salvation. He wants to save you through the blood of His Son, which which He provided for you, for the sins of the whole world. And you can be saved tonight if you'll be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins in the name of Jesus. And if you're a Christian, remember that God, He saved you, and He wants to continue to bless and to help you, but He can only do it if you're standing with Him. So the question for Christians tonight is, are you standing with God or are you standing against Him? God calls you to come back to Him so He can bless you and help you as you walk with Him. Don't leave tonight standing against God, refusing His salvation, His care, and His help. Instead, if you're standing against Him tonight, turn around and stand with Him instead.
So if you need tonight to return to God's side, please make your decision known by coming forward as we stand and sing.